is that bass crashes into your frame and it's time to talk games and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Hey, are you one of our geeks and sneaks? Are you listening to this right now in the gym, on the track, on the street, doing a workout? We're, we're there with you. We're in your ear holes. The next 90 plus minutes going to get you through your workout because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we like it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the game all about shows. No, flip that, reverse it. The show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who is joining me in NFL football purgatory, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. The best part about that is we don't need to spend any time talking about the NFL, but I will say, go Astros, making it back to the playoffs for the first time in 10 years, wild card game coming up on Tuesday against the Yankees. Nice. Go Giants, I guess I'll say, too. Um, Hey, we have gotten your feedback. Thank you very much. You can always send us questions, comments, whatever is on your mind to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Wanted to let you know we got your feedback about the show audio quality. We're hoping this week is much improved. We're trying some new things. So uh, thank you so much. The, The overwhelming feedback that I received was people prefer having live show uh, commentary, live show chat room, input from the audience, and and so do we, frankly. So I'm so glad so many of you took time to talk to me on, on Twitter and by sending emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We heard you loud and clear, but hopefully uh, we're also sounding better this week, too. So uh, working on that. But to be clear, we ignored all the feedback that said, get rid of Christian. Like, that just wasn't nice. Mom, I don't know why you kept sending those emails. And then when Dad... Yeah. Weird that... Weird that your parents are so uh, emphatic about losing you from the show. but uh, Every week, they're adamant. Yeah, it's the worst. So Hey, we're going to talk games this week. We've got a lot to talk about, and we have a great guest. Uh, DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, we're excited because once again, DLC stands for Die, Live, Continue. Because we have the host of the Spawn on Me podcast back with us again, Mr. Khalif Adams, welcome back to DLC. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. I feel like a returning champion. It's, it's awesome. You are indeed. You're a, you're officially a friend of the show now. Yes. Do I get like the year of, of turtle wax now? That, that you, yes. <laughs> Christian will be waxing your car uh, at least twice during the year. So that's uh, it's nice of him. You're I really so, appreciate Christian, that. I love you. You're such a good dude, man. I appreciate you for this. uh all right guys let's get right to it um some interesting news stories this week so let's get to story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag that's dlc sotw on twitter or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Some cool submissions there this week. And 
Khalif, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week this week? I think the interesting one that I see out there is the one about GameStop talking about disc-based games being around forever. That's really interesting. He's He went on, on record as saying that he believes that, you know, we're going to be talking about and using disc-based games in our consoles for now and then into the foreseeable future. And I think that that's not going to be the case. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I really don't believe it's going to be the future of what we see happening right now. We see that at least, a, you know, like an eighth of the market has kind of gone digital um, and that, you know, he's trying to hold on to the last kind of death nail of one, keeping GameStop alive so he can make some money. And two, yeah. <laughs> and two, hoping that, you know, discs are going to be here. So I, I think that that's really interesting. I'd love to hear what you both think about. Are we actually going to move in the digital future that we say that we are? Or, or, or does he have a point? Does he have an actual idea of what's going on in something that we're not seeing? Yeah, this is a, you're referencing an, an interview uh, of Paul Raines, the CEO of GameStop, uh, who this week said, um, not, not worried, not worried about digital. And uh, there's always going to be disc-based games. And I agree with you. I think that's a pretty bold thing to say. Of course, it is very much in his self-interest to say it because uh, no discs... <laughs> It's much harder for GameStop to make money. Uh, they have sold some digital stuff and bits and cards and codes and stuff uh, for a while now. So they are, they're not ignoring digital completely, but so much of their uh, gigantic uh, revenue stream is from <laughs> selling used games, which don't exist if you don't have discs, and selling discs in general. So... You know, it's very much, uh, he, he's not going to be like, yeah, well, it's all going away. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you know, well, we're, we're on the Titanic. Let's just, it's just a matter of time. I don't think he's going to say that. But I also think it's overstepping it to say uh, never disbased. Um, Khalif, do, do you, just personally, do you want there to always be discs? Are you glad we have discs still? Or are you ready to move to a digital-only future? So I'm in the digital future now. I'm looking at him in my rearview mirror at this point. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> what you're doing, but I'm buying my stuff through PSN or Xbox Live. I'm not going to the store unless, unless I'm trading something in that I knew when I purchased it that I would be trading in. So it's it's basically at this point, you know, if I'm not buying it digitally, I'm either possibly buying it on disc just for the sake of knowing that it's going to have some resale value. Um, and those games I know specifically that are going to be either short, they're either going to be um, single player stuff that I'm not really worried about playing multiplayer for, or I know they're probably not even going to be that good, but I need to play them because I run a podcast. So it's one of those, it's one of those weird things where I, I, I know that there's a market for it. And I guess, I guess the bigger question is, will the infrastructure kind of hold on to it? I know my want for digital futures is, is real. Cause I've like, I'm paying so much money for internet and for, for fast speeds, but I know that there are huge parts of the country still that don't kind of uh, deal well with uh, getting fast internet. So it's a balance between both knowing the, the kind of real uh, uh, things that are happening as far as where the country's infrastructure are going, but then also knowing that I much would rather just go to my console, download, what I need to and just play it. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of gamers love the fact that their games don't lose value, that they can actually take this physical thing back to the store and get some credit for it, even if that isn't a great deal. Christian, where do you stand on this this issue? Are you glad that there are still disc based games? Do you want that to continue? Are you on the side of GameStop CEO? <laughs> well, the first takeaway of this is anytime 
not any time. I'm not a total conspiracy theorist. Oftentimes when people in authority positions say things that only benefit their company or organization, what they're saying is likely not 100% true. Uh, Volkswagen CEO, after their whole diesel scandal broke, the first comment he made is that he had no plans of resigning and they were going to get through this. What was it cut to three days later? He resigned. Um, Bill Clinton did not have sexual relations with that woman. Um, you know, the examples aren't, aren't small. Those are two off the top of my head. And now GameStop CEO, uh, also is trying to reassure investors that, uh, hey, we're, we're great guys. This is, what are you talking about? Just because every console got bundled with codes for digital games, and then we had to say we're not going to carry those console bundles anymore and exert whatever muscle we had left in the industry, and the disc is never going away, you guys. By the way, we sell Steam code cards over here, so you can buy <laughs> games on your PC, you know, the things that haven't had discs in 20 years. Um, I personally do still enjoy many a disc-based game. Um, I've shared those games with my brother. I've loaned you some. You brought Mortal Kombat over. I like that aspect. I think eventually digital will will catch up and things like um, PlayStation Share, SharePlay, and things like that will catch on and become more widespread. And it'll be easier to share digital copies of games or on Apple uh, if you're on a family uh, family share, I think, whatever. You know, you can share digital purchases with up to six members. So they're figuring that stuff out. But I think the disc will will be here for a while. And, and partially, as you guys mentioned, the infrastructure of a... I mean, how how long did that 17-gig Destiny patch take you guys? And we have good internet. You know, I still set mine to go at 2 in the morning to do stuff like that. <laughs> um, right. And then I, I also think, though, it's like, are we ever going to see this all-digital future? Well, yes. Yes, we are, and we've already seen it on iOS and Android, Google Play. You know, it's already there. People talk about so quickly how phones killed the handheld market, but then people seem to balk at the idea that games will go all digital. And it's like, well, they already did in the handheld market, <laughs> according to you, right? right? So we'll get there, right. but, you know, I don't mind the slow march. Uh, I still like vinyl, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. You- what do you play those on? <laughs> oh, vinyl? <laughs> I actually don't play them, but they look so good hung on my wall. <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, just from a pure laziness standpoint, I, the the worst thing about discs is literally getting up, taking them out, and switching them. <laughs> that, that to me right. Is, is, all right there, I'm ready to get into a digital future, just to avoid having to take a disc out of the drive and put a different disc into the drive. Uh, and you know what? One particular thing that, that annoys me that I just was thinking about this week Am I the only person that constantly forgets which button on the PlayStation 4 is the eject button and which is the power button? They're so tiny and you can't see the <laughs> stupid little symbol on them because they're so small that I'm always like, am I about to turn this thing off or am I about to push the eject <laughs> button? I can never remember. They need to just put in the OS where you just say PlayStation on and then it works. There you go. I want it all voice control. PlayStation Switch what? discs for me. Do you have Destiny digital or disc-based, Jeff? Disc-based. So why are you even worrying about the eject button? Because i got to eject Metal Gear Solid Five and put in Destiny. Oh, okay, great. And delete Batman. I, I see Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you get the three. It's a three-step process. <laughs> uh, Christian, <clears throat> what is your story of the week? Man, I feel like the, the overarching, story, overarching story of this week is um, – executives be executive executive executiving or mark from marketing really has his work cut out for him coming into the holiday 
you know, GameStop CEO, <laughs> his awesome comment that we just kind of went over. Shem, I mean, that's what they're all about. They're all about people saying stupid stuff and not staying on point. Uh, for me, I think the biggest thing, just in terms of an eye roll, um, is Deus Ex, augment your pre-order. Program got augmented out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> they did a software refresh and it, it went away. And if you don't remember, it was announced in August and it had tiered rewards that were tiered to pre-ordering incentives basically so if they had so many pre-orders you know this content would unlock um and i think if they got enough the game would actually come out early which i always thought was a little weird which meant they had to be prepared to ship the game by that early date right because still in this disc-based world it can't just be like oh crap the game we got enough pre-orders the game's got to come out early Oh, yeah. crap. I guess we're paying well, for the next day Well, it's only four days. <laughs> right, right. It's only four days. I think that it was, you know, it was, they were ready to put it out four days early either way. Right. But so th- this has been canceled because people, I think, rightfully um, objected to this idea of gamifying pre-orders. And the way they said it is in recognition of fan comments and concerns. All content previously exclusive to the pre-order incentive initiative will now be available both to those who pre-order and those who purchase its day one edition. Um, so I guess kudos to Square Enix for doing the right thing after doing the wrong thing. But I, it, it again, to quote Seinfeld, what were these dudes thinking when they thought about that? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Also well, known I as, think that, what is the deal with that? I think this is uh, sort of the the Kickstarterization of of everything. That it really they structured this in a large sense based on a template that looks a lot like Kickstarter, right? It's hey, the more people that do this, the more cool things get unlocked. And I can sort of see from a from a marketing meeting perspective, you know, Mark from marketing sitting there and going, guys, I have the best idea, <laughs> the best idea. <laughs> you know how people love Kickstarter? Well, well let's just do that. Um, I can sort of understand the impetus behind this, but I feel – I understand why people freaked out. There's all these tiers and different unlocks and different new stuff you get if more people pre-order. It's trying to push those pre-orders. But I do think it's, it's to their credit uh, that they canceled the program. The the cynic in me that I try to squash as often as I can, the cynic says it wasn't working, <laughs> and if it had been working really, really well, they wouldn't have squashed it just because some people complained. But either way, uh, it's good that they recognize the error of their ways. Khalif, what, what is your take on this? The thing that bugs me out about this, I'm looking at the picture that was in the Polygon article, and the thing that makes me laugh the hardest is, don't you have to have a really awesome game first before you decide that you want to introduce all this kind of DLC? I don't remember the last game having that much uh, uh, that much praise in the first place for people to say, hey, this is a game that needed to have this kind of uh, uh, downloadable content in the next iteration of it. Like, I'm looking at it, and it's like, well, you get to have this digital art book and this digital OST sampler, and if you if you <laughs> pay this amount, if these amount of people buy this game uh, before it even ships, it's a really interesting kind of premise to think that you're so excited about your game when I honestly don't remember it being that hyped from the you know from the first game i remember being a lot of hype around it but i don't remember the community being super excited about what they actually got when they bought it so well it's a storied franchise you know this is this is a franchise that has a lot of history especially on the pc 
and, and did I, you well. know, I think there are fans. What, what's that, Christian? It did well. I mean, it was well reviewed and 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 well liked, and I think it did to some extent exceed those expectations because people maybe weren't necessarily expecting it to be the end all be all. I know it got flack for its boss fights and stuff like that, right? But generally, I think the game was pretty well received. But I think, Cleef, your point is almost a larger one where every game doesn't need a statue. Right. Uh, every game doesn't need a digital <laughs> art book. Like, just be the game. It doesn't. I don't need the limited edition collector's edition statue of you know Pac Man for Pac Man two fifty six. Where I can get the art. Says book the guy for. who's <laughs> running out and buying all the amiibos he can. Not all of them. My amiibo collection is complete. I did just buy a Darth Vader Disney Infinity three character. But uh, have you seen it? It's awesome. Yeah, I, I have that. I got that Darth Vader. Remember? I know I it's so one. good. Awesome. What, what's the last collect, uh, collector's edition that either one of you have actually purchased? Purchased? Yeah. Uh, collector's edition I purchased. I don't know if I have ever purchased a collector's edition. Yeah. To be quite That's a good you. question. I'm trying yeah. to think. I know, oh, uh, Halo 3 I did for sure, but but it was cheaper than the standard edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know the last one that I... Because that's the thing is the... I, I think in the effort to not basically buy all the small things that come along with all these collector's editions, like this this collector's edition is going to be 140 bucks. Yeah. And that number alone just kind of offends me in some weird way. Like I'm like, hey, you can spend the money whatever way you'd like to, but that number alone for a game that, again, was 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 good, it wasn't great, but it was also just like... Come on, guys. You, there's so much other things that you could be doing for your community that would ingratiate you to them and them to you than making them or, or, or giving them an option to spend 140 bucks for a game that may not be that great. We don't know. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's easy for us to make that that stand. But I feel like it's it really is a matter of degree because people were falling all over themselves to buy that Fallout 4 collector's edition with the actual Pip-Boy. And it's mm-hmm. like... Well, people are like, well, but that's cool. It's like, well, okay, well, then, you know, it's that old joke. We've already established what kind of person you are. We're just <laughs> haggling over price. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're just trying to figure out what your line of cool is, right? And I kind of feel like it's the same thing with the Amiibos. We can talk all day long about, oh, it, you know, I don't need a, every game doesn't need a statue, but it's like, well, the games I love need statues. So, <laughs> you know, it's for the people that are really into Deus Ex, I'm sure they were stoked about some of this, some of this extra stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I I'd, I'd love to see what that actually turns out to be when when the sales come in. And I would love to see how many people pre-ordered and if they got like really good pre-ordered pre-order uh, numbers. And that would be really. And fancy. I just want to agree with Jeff. I mean, I think you're right that anyone that likes Deus Ex re- enough to get a statue is an idiot. <laughs> Wait, well, oh, <laughs> let's just let's just hold on to a recording of that first part where you say I want to agree with Jeff. I think you're right. I'll just use that as a drop from now. So I do from now on is just take it like a political analyst and just agree with you and then misstate what you said. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be the new story of the week drop uh, sound uh, uh, bumper music. Is just you saying I'm right. I'm here to here to bring this <laughs> I'm so happy. Um. All right, guys, uh, my story of the week, I, I kind of can't ignore this. I know we've talked about it multiple times on the show, and it's probably getting a little uh, tiring, but it, it's such a big thing this week that I really do think it's the story of the week because it involves kind of multiple games, and that is it is Kickstarter, and it is this thing that's happening between The Escapist Magazine and Star Citizen, and we've talked about this drama, this ongoing drama with Star Citizen 
several times already, and um, we don't need to go into too much of it, but I do think this is a big deal. The, escape, the Escapist published an, uh, an article, a very lengthy article, that they say they vetted very well with multiple inside anonymous sources at Cloud Imperium Games, the people making Star Citizen, with some pretty heinous allegations saying uh, they work in a toxic workplace, that um, the that uh, the head of, of Star Citizen has misappropriated funds, that there's been racial discrimination, and that feature creep is killing the game and roughly 90% of the resources that they accumulated, which is this massive amount of, of crowdfunded money, nearly $90 million, has already been burned and the game is nowhere near released and it's it's this mess. And we've heard all kinds of weird reports. There's, you know... This guy who was a big founder or a big uh, supporter of the Kickstarter who had allegations and did his own research and and Chris Roberts said he was trying to just destroy the game for his own personal reasons. But now there's this big escapist article. Chris Roberts responds with uh, his own post um, refuting all of the claims one by one, offering escapist a, a, a tour of the studio and interviews with their current employees and threatening legal action. And saying that there's defamation of character here. Um, craziness. I don't even know how we can talk about this. Obviously, we don't know the truth. But uh, I think that the angle that's most interesting to me is this this feeling th- about kickstarting something, about crowdfunding. And I think it also relates to an article that went up today on Polygon where Ben Kachera talked about Shenmue 3 in very, very strident terms, very sarcastic uh, about how uh, Yu Suzuki is still asking for more money despite Shenmue 3 tripling its ask on on Kickstarter and being the highest funded Kickstarter in the history of video games on Kickstarter. Um, so, you know, this crowdfunding idea which is supposed to be more transparent and so you're supposed to be able to see where your funds are going. And these very, very big titles uh, that look like they are having problems already. I, I think it's a, it's a rough place to be in because we, we feel like these are the underdogs when they're announced and the crowd gets so excited, the, the community gets so excited for games that probably wouldn't exist otherwise. And then once they are this massive success... It feels like there's a desire to rip them down uh, as well. Khalif, what is your take on all of this fiasco? It's a really hard line to kind of figure what to say on this. It's really difficult because when we don't, like you said, we don't know all the, all the details. Um, it's, I think that there is a unspoken trust between the Kickstarter community when you give your money to a, a developer or an organization and you say, Hey, in good faith, I'm giving you my money because one, I would like the product or the game or the thing that you're making, but also I'm hoping that you're being a semi-decent company in, in, in some respect. You're, you're kind of making sure that you're doing less harm when you're making your game. At least that's what I do when I, when I give my money to whatever organization through Patreon or through, or through Kickstarter. Um, 
I mean, I think these stories are good if they are real, if they're actually true, they need to come out so that we can, as consumers, kind of understand what we're, what we're spending our money towards. It's just really hard right now to kind of parse out what is real versus what's not because there are so many, you know, hidden sources that kind of need to remain hidden. So hopefully they'll continue to have their jobs, but it's it kind of reminds me of, of what you, what you guys were talking about, I think last week with the, um, with the union and the uh, voice actors, you know, there is this kind of in-between space where people need to feel safe at their jobs. And if they are whistleblowers, you kind of have to support them in that way. If they're telling truth, um, I, I wonder how this is going to affect further funding. I wonder how this is going to affect the actual development of the game. If people who are at that job and at that company are having those internal whispers and, and they're not saying anything because they now feel beholden to, to, to the Kickstarter community who supported them. There's a lot of angles to this. It's a really interesting story. I want to see how, how the rest of it's going to kind of uh, unfold. Christian, what's your, uh, what's your take? I know we've talked about this multiple times, but it seems like more and more information comes out and um, it, it's become such a, such a public kind of, uh, black mark on what should be this very exciting project. Uh, what, what's your feelings now? I, I feel like that on the consumer standpoint, the lesson learned for Kickstarter and all of this um, user contributed funding sites and opportunities to fund things that otherwise maybe wouldn't exist. The lesson learned there is, Hey, are you sure you want to do this? The lesson being learned, I think from developers is, how much more public it makes your game in the development process where otherwise star citizen would have been, you know, 20 years ago, right? It would have been the cover story of EGM and there would have been a write up about it saying space combat is back, except 20 years ago, it hadn't gone away, but indulge me on this analogy. Right. And then you wouldn't hear about it for another 10 years and you would just kind of forget about it until you were cleaning out your room when you were going to college and you saw the cover and you were like, whatever happened to eternal champions three, (laughs) <laughs> and it, it just wasn't a thing, right? But because they're taking public money, there's this outcry on social media and other places and, and big stories about what happened to this game or this game got fully funded and the game hasn't come out in four years. Um, whereas otherwise, you know, games just didn't happen that otherwise were announced and money was spent on and, you know, Darksiders 3 or whatever, right? Pick a pick a game that was rumored that probably had work being done on it, Dead Island 2, Um we just don't hear it because of this. And I think the, I, I think that these sources are probably legit. I also think that they're probably disgruntled employees that feel jaded or burned and rightfully or wrongfully by the project or the environment they thought they were getting in on. Have and an so, axe to grind. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. an axe to grind. I think th- their feelings are genuine and should be listened to. But I also think people that are still drinking the Kool-Aid or are still happy to be working on what they're working on also should be listened to, right? The truth is somewhere in the middle. Whereas, you know, I had, I don't speak the most highly of being an attorney. I used to do it. I chose to get out of it. And my experiences with it weren't the best. <laughs> so if someone said like, I want to be an attorney, I would say, well, you know, maybe think about it. <laughs> Consider other options. <laughs> Whereas my friend who's still at the first firm we ever worked at together and still really enjoys it, she would be like, you have to do this. This is great. Let me show you around the office. So, I mean, I don't want to say that this isn't a story because it is, and I see it's it, how how it's important. But I do think the truth is somewhere between these two sides, and hopefully the game comes out and is great. But then another story: look at No Man's Sky and Colbert, and that's a game that wasn't crowdfunded that is still in this weird public 
space because of the the light that Sony shown on it and the expectations that press and and people have for it. So it's it's a tough place to make these games these days than it was before when you know Street Fighter Three just dropped on people and everyone was like, "Who are these characters? What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I do want to get to that uh, that Colbert moment because I think it's an interesting thing. But I, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, and I, again, I know this Kickstarter is such a it's almost become a tired topic at this point. But it, you know, in the board gaming space, Kickstarter is ubiquitous. Uh, almost every publisher uses it, and a lot of people who don't have publishers use it. And I think a lot of the way people have reacted to the the titanic shift in the board gaming environment because of Kickstarter is interesting and relevant here uh, because I think it, it happened a little earlier there. It's and and the budgets are much smaller to be honest with the board game, um, so I think things can play out uh, less dramatically in that space. And what has happened is a lot of these a lot of the publishers that use it use it in a really interesting way and they use it to to pre-sell a lot of games and fund their games but a lot of the people that don't have publishers that use it the sad truth is the reason that they use it is because they couldn't get a publisher to publish their game which is the actual intended use right. of Kickstarter is to have a chance for things that wouldn't get made otherwise but the reality is the reason that those things weren't getting made otherwise is because they weren't up to snuff, right? There was actually a vetting process going on, and the creators themselves weren't beholden to anyone. There wasn't a a level of scrutiny put on the project that a publisher would do to make sure that it is balanced and it's fun and it's exciting and it's interesting, and that you can sell it on Kickstarter, can sell the idea based on really cool parts or... Uh, a, a slick video and that the reality of playing it, a lot of people are finding that these games that aren't backed by publishers aren't really that good and maybe don't deserve to even have made the amount of money that it took to to make them. So I think that's an interesting thing. And I think while I would never suggest that, uh, you know, people shouldn't be excited to have a Shenmue 3 come into the world, uh, you know, I'm, I don't think you'll find a person that was more committed to that series in the world when it was happening. I, I, like I said, I played through the first Shenmue multiple times and I played Shenmue two, uh, through all the way through once. And I know those games very, very well. I don't think they're very good, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but I, I'm excited that a Shenmue three is, is, is a possibility and it's only a possibility because this is happening. But, um, to see, the the amount of money required and the ask being so much less, I, I can understand Pen Kuchera's position in his in his Polygon article that like there's a lot of gall to keep asking people for money when it's like well you got triple what you asked for in the first place what game was that right. going to make how were you going to deliver on that if that's what you asked um I do I want you guys to comment on that but first I want to read uh, an email because the first time we talked about this when we were talking about them uh, asking for PayPal money. I got a, a very impassioned email uh, at uh, five by, or excuse me, at uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com uh, from a listener named Matt Humphrey. Uh, he contacted me uh, several times and was really adamant that, that we weren't being fair about it. And he said that he didn't think that Yu Suzuki and oh, the, uh, the, the folks that are making Shenmue 3 were doing 
were asking for more money out of greed. He said it's because the fans have been hounding them, and he does mean relentlessly hounding them on Twitter, etc., since the Kickstarter was announced for them to give the fans an ability to contribute via PayPal. And he says that the uh, the Shenmue fans have been waiting for this opportunity for 15 years, and all the people trying to cast a shadow over their dream becoming a reality are being really horrible, in his opinion. Khalif, yeah, what do you think? I, I, I mean, it's... It's hard because I then think about any projects that I would like to see funded or any games that I would like to see kind of brought from brought back from the dead. I was lucky enough to see Frequency kind of get its get its due again and, and hopefully come out uh, fairly soon. And I would give them more money if they asked for it. So it's it's you know because I know that they have decided to take the time to make that game really good. Uh, it's a weird balancing act that I wait, find. Wait, sorry, 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 sorry. How do you know that? How do I know what? I f- you're t- they're taking the time to make that game really good. I feel like that harkens oh. back to our you're buying a statue if you like the game, but oh. if you don't like the game, then it seems silly to buy the statue. It's like this is a franchise you like, so they're going to do it good. Like, well, what if it's crap? Well, they do. Well, they at least from what I've seen from, and this is what they do really well. And this is, I guess, this is to, to the to the ex- the actual point is uh, we talked a little bit about open development when we had this discussion, and open development has been really helpful for most of the games that I've seen do really well, both on Kickstarter uh, and, and kind of in, in, in multiple genres of, of both AAA, indie, all those spaces, right? Where Frequency, the folks from Harmonix, they were like, hey, we're going to show you everything that we're doing if you're a fan and you're, you're, you're chipping in to, to make this, this product happen. We're going to show you everything that we're doing and then you'll be able to kind of gauge if you'd like to re re up or, or to, to add more money to it. And I, to a certain extent, as a person who's like, I'm going to pay my money, appreciate that. It makes me at least feel that if the game is terrible on the back end, when it comes out that they at least tried really hard to make a good product. They were open about what they were doing in the development. And then at me as a consumer, I'm making my decision based on that information. Any game, you can never tell what, if, whether it's going to be good. Metal gear could have been terrible uh, when it came out too. And we wouldn't have known until you actually got to purchase it or review copies got out there and people that you trusted, uh, you, you listened to their review. So I think in that space, it's hard to kind of determine whether a game is going to be good until it actually comes out. Or if you're willing to, to again, have that trust in the developers and in their style and the way that they do things, that they will make a game that was good for you. And I think for the masses, it may be different, but for you, it's okay. So with Shenmue... Uh, you know, hopefully they are taking time and hopefully they are kind of paying attention to the, the community in a way where that extra money will make their game the actual game that they've been trying to make that will satisfy them, their artistic kind of uh, liberties and, and then also the community that wants it. So it's a, it's a weird in-between space there, but there's a lot of uh, connective tissue to go around. Khalif and, and Jeff, I wonder, and I really do, I think I am more positive than people see me as on this show, but now I'm going to go into perhaps a glass half empty, mm-hmm. but I, I can't help but think that you're giving faith and trust to someone because you're excited about the game. Now, where I will allow that <laughs> to some extent <laughs> is with the idea of a past track record, right? Like Harmonix has right. built uh, functioning games that are well-reviewed and well-liked by people that like that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you're saying, oh, they're open, they're telling you what they're trying to do, so if the game comes out and stinks, at least they were upfront and honest with you. Whereas I would argue, you know, if it wasn't a franchise that you were already 
smitten with and and you you just read this on polygon or destructoid or whatever you'd be like oh man look at look at developer purple they just they were lying to their fans saying they were doing this stuff and I mean, how could how could you justify that when this is the garbage that came out like this game doesn't do any of that stuff what a joke and so i feel like it's this weird world of like i believe them i trust them so if the game stinks well i'm sure they tried versus i don't like them i don't know them so if the game stinks Clearly, lizard people are ruling the world. I would, I would disagree in that. I think that the in-between space is, I don't think that consumers have the ability now to say that they are ill-informed. Most companies, to a certain extent, will share at least some developer docs. They'll show some, you, you have enough space to kind of see what's happening, whether it be on social media, whether it be on their website, whether it be through games, games journalism, that you can kind of go through and say, this is something that, for the most part, I'm willing to hedge my bets on and say this may be good. It may suck at the end of the day. Mad Max was one of those kinds of deals where I had no idea what was going on going with most of that game. I hadn't really been following the development. I heard that it was pretty good from friends in both in, in, in the press when it came out. And now I'm kind of leaning towards buying that game because people that I trust were reviewing it and people it's who I like. Yeah, right. And people, people who have played the game and tell me who I trust are like, hey, this game is pretty good. You should try this out. So I think that we don't live in the world where we can say that Consumers don't have some of the tools, at least some of the tools, to make informed decisions about where they spend their money on games. So, you know, past performances are great. You know, pedigree is also there, but you have the ability to kind of look up stuff, <laughs> use the Googles, and kind of find out if you think it's going to be worth your money. Well, in, Jeff, in the is chat this room, where you, uh, in is the this chat where you agree with me because you're the co-host and we gang up on our guest. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Uh, I think it's in in the chat room. There's some interesting discussion. Uh, Balkan is saying. Uh, it, reminding us of uh, when we had uh, Danny O'Dwyer on and Danny uh, backed the Shenmue Kickstarter, even though he really didn't care whether or not he ever played that game. He just sort of wanted to be a part of something. And uh, I think that's a really interesting thing. I think that's a that's a uniquely modern phenomenon of, of you know, using... <laughs> at the risk of bringing a political stance into this using uh money as speech, you know, like right. I'm, I'm putting my money on this as, as a, as a vote of, of being a part of this as, as have, I'm, I'm part of this thing. I have that for certain people. There's, there are yeah. certain artists, there are certain uh, directors like it, we're going to talk a little bit about this later on, but Spike Lee, anything that he makes, I will support. Yeah. And that's and that's a thing. And I will kick out I'll kick out money to support him and his works because he's had that pedigree, but also he is also like moving moving things forward in a way that no one else did before. So there are some there are some blind blind people not blind people, there are some people who I will give my money to blindly. Yeah. Uh and that's 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 true. That's true too. It's gonna be interesting to see how these shake out. Shenmu, of course, you know, we're talking about twenty seventeen, so there's a long time for that to uh resolve itself and i think that star citizen can't even say it star citizen isn't coming out anytime soon either um all right guys let me uh take a quick break here and thank our sponsor linda for uh sponsoring our show this is uh something that i'm really really pleased to talk about because i really love learning and i think linda is a fantastic place to learn something new or to reinforce a skill you already have uh, they have uh, an incredible amount of information that is clearly laid out and easy to access on their site, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. And if you go to lynda.com slash DLC, 
you can get a 10-day free trial, which is great because Linda has so much there. It's a it's a learning platform that has 3,000, over 3,000, on-demand video courses. And these are courses from all kinds of authors over all kinds of topics. And these are really highly skilled, knowledgeable people that know how to put together videos. It's not just people on YouTube, you know, droning on for 20 minutes before they get to the really important stuff. These are professionals that are experts in their field that will teach you how to do photography or how to make a website or how to program in HTML or how to model characters in Cinema 4D or how to do any number of things. There's 3,000 video courses. This is amazing. It's an amazing repository of information and it's really a place where you can find information quickly and easily because all of the videos are uh, are transcribed and so you can do a text search and then go right to the point in the video that your text search uh, leads you to. So you, you don't have to watch an entire video to get to just the negative information you need. But the videos themselves are laid out in a really clear way so if you don't know anything about a topic, you can start from one and learn a, a, a really a whole bunch of information. This is great. A way to learn how to program games. Uh, there's a way to... You know, really do almost anything. I mean, just simple stuff like Excel or Word, you know, any kind of software platform you might need, Linda has your back. And like I said, we're going to give you a 10-day free trial just for listening to the show. If you go to lynda.com slash DLC, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash DLC, try it. Give it a shot. See if it's something that can be useful to you. I bet you will stick around uh, at least for 10 days to check out everything that they've got there. It's a, It's a really spectacular site. Lynda.com slash DLC. Check it out today. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, so, I, you know, Christian, you did bring up this um, appearance that Sean Murray made on the new uh, Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which I've been enjoying thoroughly, by the way, I must say. He's been he's been fantastic. Um, did you guys have a chance to see his appearance? Khalif? I did. Yep. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, let's start with you, Khalif. What, what did you think of uh, Sean Murray just in general on on Colbert and how did you think that video games, I know that, um, that uh, Jimmy Fallon has been doing video games for a while on his show. And I know that uh, even um, Conan, Conan, uh, Conan, Conan does video games, but he does it in a, as a comic segment, right? He does it as a, like, you know, look how bad I am at video games. I don't know anything. This was more <laughs> like an actor coming on and talking about the next project they're doing. This was serious. And uh, you know, it was, it was supposed to be informatory. It was, I thought it was a, a different way to showcase video games on a late show, uh, and I'd love to hear what you think. The interesting thing about Sean as a person is is interesting because he it always comes out. Um, any appearance that he's done that he's done is him being really really excited about his games, but also not knowing how to talk about them well. <laughs> yeah, and, well, he just seems like an awkward guy in general. You know, yeah, sort of publicly, you know. Yeah, he's super awkward in that way, which for being on Colbert is, is kind of funny too, because it kind of comes out in the way. No, I love Sean Murray. I love the hell out of Sean Murray. Sean Murray is <laughs> super dope. Like, I want to have a drink with Sean Murray. Um, but it's kind of cool to see, again, in the way that, you know, Colbert kind of talks to people. He's very, he's very uh, intuitive about where people are. Uh, and it's nice to see developers get this kind of, kind of access and also kind of be talked to as actual people, not just the person who's coming out to like hawk your thing. Um, 
which is nice. It's 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 kind of cool to see stuff like that happen. It does leave that still kind of gaping hole as far as when the game is actually going to come out. Yeah. But but it's still great to see the developers have this kind of space when you know their games are going to be hopefully pretty big and 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 have a lot of people looking at it. So to get both the the late night crowd, which is usually not demographics wise in the gamer kind of demo, uh, to to pull through and see somebody who's making this kind of art and making these kinds of uh, this kind of tech is cool. I kind of hope that they do more of this. I'd love to see other people on the show doing these kinds of interviews and, and stuff like that. Did, did, did you guys feel the same way? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Mighty One in the chat room said, uh, I liked the segment, but I don't know if I'm going to buy the game. And I think that's interesting. <laughs> I think, you know, certainly if, if the release date was even remotely close, they were fools not to... Uh, announce it on that platform so i feel like it ain't coming out anytime soon which probably means late 2016 instead of early 2016 because if they knew even if they knew it was coming in march or late you know or, or around those dates I, I they would have mentioned it don't you think christian I, yeah if, if they had anything firm i could see sean being protective of his baby and not wanting to say march even if that's what he's targeting and then getting locked into that and having people get angry when it doesn't hit that. I, I do think it's best to not say a date unless you're a hundred percent certain that it will make that date. Mm -hmm. I also think maybe it's best to let some, Oh, sorry. I just hit my mic with my face. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's sometimes good to let something hide for a little bit. That was me of, punching you through the magic <laughs> of the internet. That's what no, that man, was. no man's face coming in 2016. <laughs> um, you know, to let something, give something a rest for a little bit, and not keep showing it. I think the, the, you know, my opinion and the inside Hollywoodness of these types of segments uh, on shows. I think it's great. I think it's also just a testament to gamers coming of age. You know, I was mm. probably four or five, and, you know, you don't have memories much younger than that. I remember watching, hanging out with my parents, um, and they were w talking about and watching late night TV. And when I would like sneak downstairs and be like, I can't sleep or whatever. And Carson was on TV. Right. So we are of that age now. And things that we are interested in is gaming. I also think it's going after like when Colbert had PewDiePie on, um, you know, he, thank you for lo loaning us the Lord of the internet or whatever Colbert said, <laughs> where they're very aware that a lot of these late night shows now are consumed as online segments on the YouTube page. Right. And so whether or not the traditional late night TV audience is watching No Man's Sky, this is a very easily removable clip to put on YouTube that will get a lot of, of views. And while I don't know Sean personally, um, I am getting sick of seeing him at public appearances. I think the first time <laughs> he showed No Man's Sky, No Man's Sky, he came out as charming and endearing, and this guy that was just like, "Oh, I, and I can't. I know everybody loves it. And I'm, we're blown away, and I'm, we're just a small team, and I'm so humbled. And what am I doing? This is so weird." And now I'm like, "Dude, you've been on several major stages. You're on a national late night TV show." Uh, Get some media training or figure out your stuff. Nah, let him be. Let him. Yeah. Let, let Sean be Sean. Let I don't think he's yeah. genuine. What? Well, let's not. I totally think that. I don't genuine. think we need to get into character assassination at this point. I'm, I'm more interested in talking about the game itself. And I think they're I think, one and the same. <laughs> well, okay. He's, <laughs> he's talking snake oil at this point. Instead of giving specifics, he plays this character of like, isn't it? That's so great. What? And then people don't notice that he hasn't said anything about anything, and originally showed a cordoned off section of a game in a game that's supposed to be broad and vast, and then 
give people walkthroughs of a tenth of a game that's supposed to be this big thing and never gets anyone to experience this thing, but we're all not bothered by it because he's so charming. Hold on. Wait one second. I have to push back on that because that's not fair. That's totally not fair. And here's the reason why. I don't need to be fair because I'm an objective commentator and not buying into the stuff that he's selling me and trying to force down my system through commercialism, man. Well, well, damn. I'm going to take you with me when I need to go march for civil rights. I'm taking you with me. (laughs) You're going to be on the line with me. Um, But the thing is this. And I, and I, and this is the reason why I would ask you to hold on for one second with that with that form of that part of the cr- cr- criticism is of all the devs who have a lot to lose as far as what they're putting out there and what kind of game they're making. I said this on Twitter like some months ago. I said Sean Murray will either be the greatest new developer to come in our lifetime or he will be a dude at the end of the bar drinking himself to death. And I said because he's making such a really big and ambitious game that you can't really have a lot of hubris when you go into making this game because you may botch it. It may be whack. It may suck. It may be really terrible. But we don't know that until it comes out. And if you're going out there and you at least, if that, if, if, if we're going to assume that he is not putting on a front and he's really being humble and saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a person who is from Hello Games. We made Joe Danger and now we're making this game. Then you have to give him a little bit of credence. You got to give him a little bit of uh, a grace to say you are making something that's maybe a little bit over your head, maybe a little bit over your developer's head, maybe over the, the gaming public's head in some ways. We don't know yet, but to, to give him that kind of label like, oh, this is some 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 plot behind the scenes. It's a little bit a little bit disingenuous. That's not fair. Well, I think there's so, a, I think there's a go good ahead, question yeah. here in the in the chat room. Stats one said, do any of you. Still want to buy this game? Yes, yeah. I do too. Uh, I w- I will say this: it was another appearance, and and again, this is probably the idea here is that he's reaching an audience that probably has never heard of No Man's Sky. So this is probably first contact with a whole range of people that aren't tied into the video game space like we are. Right. So I think also you have to look at it with that eye. He's not; they're not talking to us. They're talking to all those people that watch late night television. Um, but it was another situation where really the only thing we learned about the game is how big it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think at this point, it's a little bit, I personally am feeling like big isn't a feature that I care about. Well, like, it is bi- if it's based that the gameplay is based around exploration. Right. Right. I mean, I like the idea that I'm going to have my own little corner of the galaxy that no other person is going to find and it's just for me but at a certain point it's like okay i'm gonna run around and tag stuff and we saw him tag a bunch of stuff and by the way i hope that we each get our own little sound effect like colbert got his like mine i thought that i thought that was if we each get our own sound effect when we tag stuff i think that would be rad but i suspect that's not the case um i just i don't know what's going to keep me motivated and uh i wish we were seeing a little more of that in the demos so, so tell me why everybody said, yes, I still want to buy it. Uh, is this because we all want to be part of something new and different or is it, what is your reasoning behind that Khalif? I mean, I, to, to this date, besides the promise of what Spore was supposed to be, uh, 
mm-hmm. haven't seen a game that and, and it makes me think of what you say often uh, when you talk about uh, like VR and you're talking about uh, tech that is, is, is coming and we want to have it there so that the bigger conversations can kind of happen and push things forward. And I think this game could possibly do that in some way. And that's the reason why I'm so excited for it. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that it will come to, to, to bring us to a new version of where we think exploration games can go. Uh, something that will have that, uh, made up lore that most games don't necessarily have that we'll all be able to kind of experience at the same time and make up our own stories while getting to hopefully the center of this universe before we all die. Um, so, so that's the reason why that's the reason why I'm still excited about it. That's the reason I still want to play it. Christian. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't need VR to take me away to magical and mythical worlds. And I think the appeal of this game is that, you will discover things that are crazy and new and wonderful and you'll have these water cooler moments of I landed on this planet and waterfalls were going up, you know, up instead of down or, you know, I found these animals and I accidentally shot this thing or I shot this thing on purpose and then these guardians showed up and I had to get out of there. And then I landed, you know, I don't know if ships can take damage. I, I think they can, right? Because they're, they, mm-hmm. they showed some ship combat and then my ship took some damage as I was leaving and I landed on this other planet, but it was like even more aggressive and, you know, it was made out of like living lava and the potential for coolness uh, that hasn't been reined in by any of these appearances yet is what keeps me interested in the game. The reason I, while I will still probably buy it is I am very invested in this hobby as art and as technology, and I mm-hmm. want to experience this game for myself, assuming it's not broken. But you know, I want to sit down and play it and spend time with it and try to get in the creators' heads and see what they were trying to do. And just like... Um, Eyes Wide Shut isn't a Kubrick I necessarily enjoy, but I needed to see that film. Um, It's new. It's ambitious. Right. It's important. And I think that's true for sure. And then my last point about Sean, uh, I'm not saying that Sean was in the green room on the late show sitting there going like, all right, jerk, time to put on the nice guy face and go out there and fool these idiots into my game. <laughs> well, this is cool. No, be more genuine. <laughs> well, this is more genuine. He's like slapping himself. <laughs> I think it's how he is, but I also think he's, you know, somewhat bought into this character. And also as the head of a company that keeps getting these huge chances to show off your thing, I think should invest in some media training to better show off what he's doing and come across as more of a person that's in charge that we can have confidence in making this ambitious thing instead of a kid at the playground going, I I don't know where this sandcastle came from, guys. This is crazy. That's all. Well, we, we have our own uh, games that we have been experiencing and been inside the heads of the developers, so I want to get to those. I, I'll leave it with uh, another interesting comment I see uh, from Coloring Squared here in the chat room. He says, I want to see procedural generation applied to behaviors, and I haven't seen that in this game. So I think that's uh, it's interesting. I, I think that you're absolutely right, Christian, in a lot of, a lot of points, uh, especially when you said that uh, Sean Murray is a phony. <laughs> no, I don't believe that to be true. Uh, all right, guys, I, I, we have so many cool games to talk about. Let's get to the playlist. Khalif, you sent me a tweet this week that intrigued me no end. Oh, uh, did you, I? Yes, you did. You said uh, Jeff. 
you should be playing the NBA 2K16 story mode. I think you'd really like it. Yes. Why yes. would I really like it? So, as a per- at, off the heels of your conversation last week about how Destiny has no story. <laughs> <laughs> the the NBA 2K if you haven't been paying attention to this story the NBA 2K series 2K16 had a uh story mode last year that was kind of uh thrown together it wasn't really good it, there's a, a my career segment that will uh bring you basically from being a rookie to being in the NBA uh and there's pitfalls and and all those things where people who are doing really terrible bado done by actual NBA players will talk to you and it's really terrible. This year they decided to go a whole different route and, and, and bring in Spike Lee to do their story for their My Career segment. So the reason I said that you would like it is I think it does one of the best versions of an actual story in a place that you wouldn't have expected their story to be. Um, usually sports games don't really allow for stories to be yeah. told in, in, in a narrative way. Um, and having finished it last night, um, it's phenomenally, phenomenally done. It's so good. It's, it's amazingly done because one, uh, it, it kind of brings the story of this guy named frequency vibrations, which is a terrible name. It's the <laughs> worst name that you can give to a character. <laughs> it's, uh, um, it like an eighties synth pop band. It does. I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to be frequency vibrations. I want to be mahogany darkness. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the name that I want. I was like, I don't want to be that. Um, it made me think of, of, of all of us having our, uh, metal gear names, but anyway, um, and it takes this story of this young guy who's from Harlem and then makes him go through the process of playing in high school, then getting an agent, then going into the NBA and having the kind of pitfalls between his his uh, his best friend, his sister, who is his manager, his agent and then the team owner. And it's all these these all these dynamics that go on that if you heard that scenario, you would say, oh, well, this is this is something that you would see on TV, not something you would see in a, in a, in a mode in a video game. The mocap is amazingly done. The, the, the animations that are done, uh, that are super emotive and, and especially the, the sister who, who's in, uh, in the role. Um, small things just come through that you don't see often in not just sports games, but games in general. And I think that they've done, um, a job that will, if they can build off of it for next year in some way, I'm hoping that they will use this tech for more stuff and they'll use it in this game and, and, and make uh, the game even bigger in that way. So I'm super excited for it. It was a really uh, interesting story. One that kind of hit home for me personally that I didn't expect also. Um, and it was, it was great. I'm hoping that, that if not spike, they'll get some other folks to, to continue this process. Well, explain to me how it works. I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, is it the kind of thing where uh, you're, you know, you're seeing the story of this kid and then, you go and play a game of basketball. It's like you, you know, you, everything is, is cut scenes in between games. You know, are you playing in the NBA? Like, how does that work? So it, it starts. So you basically go from uh, a set amount of games. It's a truncated season, right? It's a kind of truncated uh, journey from high school through college, through the NBA. So you'll play a certain amount of games in high school. They'll talk about at the end. And then at the end of that uh, section, you'll then uh, there'll be a cut scene that will talk about you picking a school to go to, to, to college. You'll basically send in your letter and say, Hey, this is a school I want to go to. You'll have some, you'll have some uh, college, uh, um, gosh, uh, recruiters come in and they'll kind of pitch you 
and say, hey, this is mm-hmm. the school that you should be going to. You're 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 this superstar uh, high school kid. Now let's move on from that, and then you'll go into the college game. There'll be like four games that you'll play, and then you'll have another couple of cutscenes that go in between that we'll talk about from you picking uh, your college uh, college team to your NBA team. But in between, there are these uh, conversations that are happening between you and your best friend who. Uh, not to not to spoil too much is, is kind of telling you to go one way and, and everyone else is telling you to go the other way. So it's it's this kind of split decision that you have to make uh, that actually you don't have to make. You're not you're not making this because it's a straight narrative story. There aren't really branches in which you can divert, um, which is one of the disappointing parts is the gameplay aspects don't necessarily affect the story. So it is more of just a, a, a straight story framework. run through. Right. It's just yeah. a straight framework. But the way that they do it and the way that they handle some of the uh, super uh, emotional parts that I didn't expect uh, happening, they did such a great job with it. I was like, I've had that conversation, not the NBA one because I'm short, but the, <laughs> but, but the conversations that you would have about uh, uh, growing up in the hood and, and not having parents or, or, or not having uh, parents with you or um, how it is to avoid danger uh, when you're trying to be a, a good kid. Uh, so it was, a lot of, it was a lot of conversations in there that hit home for me personally. But also they were done in a way that I, I've never seen before. It was actually, I said this on, on the show, the best example of how to treat uh, folks in an urban environment and show them in not in non-stereotypical ways that I've seen in a very long time. So that, that to me was super well done. Wow. Yeah. I, as much as I love basketball, I have to admit it's been many, many years since I've played an actual basketball video game uh, that isn't, you know, NBA jam. It. The, the, an actual, you know, five on five NBA game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably been since Dreamcast era since that I've actually sat down with one and put any time in it. But this seems like a feature that is squarely made for me to get back into. I, I, I've always wanted this. I wanted this in my WWE games. I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, this is the kind of thing that I want. And I wish because you're talking about it doesn't really react to the things you do. But I think it would be so cool if. If it had that layer of, you know, if your guy specializes in rebounds or mm-hmm. is a scorer or, you know, it, it changes depending on whether you're a, a point guard or a center, you know, it's like if it was a little more dynamic and I don't think it has to be wild swings of branching story, but if it just sort of incorporated the specifics of what you do, I think that would be even better. That's what I'm really looking for. I think that would be so cool. Hopefully next year. Hopefully next. Yeah. This is a good, really a really good foundation that they've built, and and it changes a little bit from year one to year two in your in your series. Where year two, you you go through the usual kind of uh, uh, press conference stuff. You know, ask you a question. You have two options in which you can answer, and that will uh, raise or lower your chemistry with your teammates or your your ability to talk to the press in a specific way, and, and or how many fans you'll get on social media, which then determines how many endorsements you get. There's a lot of small dynamic things that do play out in in year two they don't necessarily play out in the story mode mm. um so so hopefully they'll be able to find, figure out ways to kind of build that in next year and if they can then they'll have something that's even better laid on top of a game that's already phenomenal very cool uh, i know you have other really cool stuff on your playlist which we will get to but i do want to i feel like this is a good transition because we're talking about sports games uh to bring christian in and uh there's been a lot of discussion about tony hawk pro skater 5 this week christian and I know that you got your skater thumbs on that on that board, baby. Um, so so tell me, tell me uh, if I should run out and buy Tony Hawk Pro Skater Five. 
Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 is garbage. Activision <laughs> should be embarrassed. I don't... Tony Hawk should be embarrassed. Little Wayne is constantly embarrassed. Um... I, I don't begrudge people at Robomondo per se because I don't know what working conditions and what they were given. I, I, I do wonder if they were able to refuse the contract. Um, it As it stands right now, I think it is the worst game. It is definitely the worst game that I've played this year. The fact that it is $60 uh, should be criminal, figuratively speaking. The game is so bad. Have either of you played it before I launch into... Re- detailed reasons as to why the game is so bad no no i, I haven't but from what i just heard you just said it was game of the year <laughs> <laughs> it is game of the year to wipe your bottom with um <laughs> it, it, so the game the developers love menus apparently because you know they touted this as like it's an open world and you get into this so you boot up a level you're in an online lobby which means there are a hundred other tony hawks or whomever characters uh, there is no creative skater um the, the amount of features that this game is lacking that tony hawk pro skater 2 had is insane um and you're, you're just in this lobby but there's nothing to do in this lobby version of the school or whatever right you can collect skate collect combo get a VHS and, and get a CD are like the things to do in the, it's not even open world, but in the online lobby thing of this level that you load into. But if you want to go and do any of the things that you may remember from Tony Hawk games, um, high scores or whatever, you then need to select it as a mission. And in order to unlock the next level, you need to get 15 stars on each level to unlock the, the next level. And these 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 missions are the same, uh, almost virtually the same on every level. And there are things that aren't fun to do on a skateboard. There's a high score one. That's fine. That's fine. But then there's like collect floating ice cream cones and deliver them to the pool. And the, the line that's of where ice cream cones. goes, dude, in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a party. It really is. It's it's a great pool party with ice cream for everybody. Uh, The line of these cones isn't anything necessarily fun to do or challenging to do, per se. Um, You're not rewarded for... You don't need to be doing tricks continuously. It's not like collecting combo. And the way they're laid out doesn't make sense intuitively in terms of... Like, I used to skate. I I know what I'm doing. I I would drive road courses. I can see lines, right? Like, I'm aware of that stuff still. And so it's trial and error the first few times you do it to do it under the time limit of memorizing where these things go and why they make you take a left turn. But the thing is, to do that thing that will last 30 seconds, you need to load that challenge that pulls you out of the online lobby part of that level, then reloads the same level, and then populates it with these 10 ice cream cones. And then after you do that, it loads you back out to the main lobby thing and then do the next one you need to load it again and and load out and load in and load out and and they have these icons on the in the skate parks like over in the half pipe for instance there's an icon a marker and when you go over there i was playing on ps4 it says press square to start the there's one where you you do kick flips to shoot missiles out of your skateboard and shoot targets so dumb uh push square <laughs> to initiate target attack half the time for me pushing square wouldn't initiate the thing but you could just push the touch screen on the ps4 the touchpad and it would pull up an, a menu that you where you could load the missions from so why are there these markers on the map that you think you need to go to to load them when you don't need to go to and load them and, and it's it, so from that perspective 
the game is horrible. It is not fun. Progressing through the levels is not fun. It's not rewarding. And then the bigger issue, and there's a, a post on Reddit from um, the JFK show. And if you search for Reddit and uh, bugs, glitches are not the problem, Tony Hawk THPS5, you will find this post on Reddit. And this poster does a really, really good job explaining how even with that stuff, like the load times, the loading, the unnecessary loading, the, the horrible mission design for things that isn't what this game should be, like the glitches, the bugs, the random bailing, um, the horrible looking graphics, all of those things aren't even the real problem with this game. He, uh, this poster puts out, the worst part of the game is Robomondo's ignorance when it comes to Tony Hawk Pro Skater gameplay and its mechanics. And the poster lists, I don't know, maybe 20 things that explain why even mechanically the game technically works i can push x and i will ollie but fundamentally the controls of the game and their understanding of tony hawk one through underground maybe just doesn't make sense like they've ruined what makes these games fun and enjoyable uh the main one and go look at this post to read them all but the main one for me is they you know the series tries to innovate so Two added the ability to manual. So, and and one, the way the most way people would get high scores, right, are jumping between grinds or doing multiple tricks off of jumps because once you landed, there was no way to continue to link tricks together. And two, they added the manual so you could come out of grinds and manual to the next thing and keep that momentum going, even though you would slow down during your manual. And three, they added the revert, which allowed you to chain tricks uh, while you're on a half pipe type environment. Uh, including the manual, and they kept the manual as well. And five, they add this slam mechanic that is tied to the grind button. And when you push the button, it just like, you know, zooms you to the ground in a way that fundamentally breaks how any experienced Tony Hawk Pro Skater player grinds. So you'll go, if you're not right over something that can grind and you push the button a hair early, you just slam on the ground. Or if the game feels like it has like this weird magnetization system where it pulls you to something that isn't right. So you hit it and it just slaps you down. And one, it's not a thing that skateboarders do or use. Whereas like the manual and the revert are real tricks that are integral in terms of keeping a line going and keeping a score through a X game style competition that add difficulty to a trick line you're doing. The slam is just, it's horrible and it, it really does break so much of the game. But I Twitch stream some of it. I don't know how long archives are still up. Um, watch it. Watch some YouTube videos. It's bad. I went and got my Dreamcast out and played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 um, again yesterday, and those games are so good. There's discussion that the reason this game came out when it did is because this is the year that Activision's contract with Tony Hawk expires. Um, so it was slapped together. And, yeah. it, it makes me angry. That Activision took this opportunity to name it Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, release it at $60, and and rob money from people. This game is d- disgusting. I like what you uh, be I like. I like what Dap today said in the chat. He said uh, the day one patch for this game is seven gigs, which is bigger than the game itself. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I hadn't heard. And that. people have asked That's me like, hilarious. if this game could be so- patched to be fixed, and will it ever be good? No. It's fundamentally broken, not in the sense that pushing left doesn't make your character go left, but, oh, and the level layouts are, my daughter could have designed better level layouts <laughs> with the Create-A-Skater, or Create-A-Park. It's unbelievable. So, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5, bad. 
the good news is I have a game that's very, very good. Although I don't even know if you could call it a game. Uh, I want to talk about The Beginner's Guide. Have you guys heard of The Beginner's Guide? No, the, I haven't. It's the new game from one of the guys who did The Stanley Parable. Uh, Stanley Parable is is one of my favorite game experiences of recent years. Uh, if you guys are unfamiliar with The Stanley Parable, you should download it and play it immediately. It's incredible. It's a first-person game where you start in a room and you hear this voiceover of a person telling you to do certain things. And based on your reaction to that and what you do, the game branches off into myriad amazing weird branching pathways uh, that keep branching off from themselves. And there's all these decisions to make and you just kind of end up, you can play the game over and over and over. And if you do different things, wildly different things will occur. It's a really interesting experiment in game narrative and uh, a magical experience in my opinion. Well, this game is called the beginner's guide uh, and it is equally as, revolutionary in my opinion and i don't know if you can call it a game there aren't any traditional objectives or challenges or dangers it really is more like an interactive piece of art or storytelling but it is something if you listen to this show i guarantee you you will like this you will appreciate it if you care enough about video games to download a video game podcast and listen to it you, this game is for you. Uh, it's eight bucks right now. I think it's 20% off right now on, on steam, uh, well worth it. You should play it in one sitting. So reserve about an hour and a half. It only takes about that long to get through. Uh, there, there is no chance of failure. There is no, it, it is going to be an hour and a half. That's just how long it takes, uh, because it is a linear progression story. And you, again, you are listening to a person give you VO, but in this case, it is almost as if uh, it's, you're listening to someone's diary. Um, hmm. This is a this is an experience about one game designer looking at another game designer's games and trying to understand them. And you are inside each of that other game designer's games. They're very short games. They're almost like I I liken them to very brief Twilight Zone episodes. Because the games themselves are there to achieve a certain thing and make a certain point. They aren't really games. They're just sort of interactive moments almost. And you are in the, these games over and over. They're, they're on the, the um, source engine and they're all first person. But they all are unlike anything you've ever played. And you're, you're hearing this person describe his experience with those games, what he thinks they mean. He's leading you through the experience. Sometimes he's giving you a cheat so you can get around certain things, but you are playing through these games and experiencing them both through your perspective and through the perspective of the person narrating. And it is a profound experience. It is not like anything I've ever, I've ever done or played. And I came out of it moved. I came out of it. I think, uh, having a deeper appreciation and understanding of what it, takes to make games i came out of it with this wonderful reverence for interactivity in general and how interactivity can create a kind of narrative experience that we can't have in any other medium it, it's a celebration of games it's a sad thing as well i don't know how much of it is actually true or not there's this weird question of that that happens it is truly a piece of art 
and it should not be missed. I, I really can't recommend it higher. Talk about sold. You said you said Twilight Zone. I was like, what? I want this game now. So yeah, I mean, I think that might be an odd analogy to make. Uh, the, the games themselves, the little like bite-sized games that you play through numerous ones of, right? they're all like, they have this kind of weird thing that lands on you, and there's this weird thing that they do to you. Uh, and I feel like th- in that way, it's almost something like the Twilight Zone. But it's it do- it's not awesome. directly like the Twilight Zone, you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. Need to go vignettes. back and listen to this segment like tomorrow because I'm literally still over here. I am angry just thinking about Tony Hawk still. Like I am oh. honestly hot. So it sounds amazing, but I'm going to play the beginner's guide. You'll feel better. It's oh. it's really, really good. <laughs> I just want really, Spicer. Really I just want Spicer to just say smash mechanic one more time. Oh my! It's I'll, I it will was, smash was, the mechanic so out good. of this out of this game. It Dude. I'm, I'm not I'm done, Khalifa. I'm not falling uh, <laughs> for your ploys. I'm not going to get angry. Hulk will not smash. I think people will, will like me when I'm angry, but <laughs> I don't want to be angry. We'll, we'll do we'll do a, a will it blend version of Tony Hawk Pros. <laughs> um, Khalifa, what else is on your playlist? Uh, I have been playing the mess out of Taken King. Uh, mm. the Taken King expansion has taken up most of my time. It is, it is ruining my marriage as we speak. <laughs> I have spent more nights on the couch, not cause I was, not cause I was being put on the couch, but more cause I was sleeping on the couch cause I'd finished playing for up to like three o'clock in the morning, uh, playing Taken <laughs> Sleeping King. on couch with controller on chest with drool on mouth. Kind of yeah, basically. I think I may have sleep apnea anyway. Um, <laughs> but but, it's, but I've been playing the mess out of that, uh, trying to now make it a second character now so I can run the raid again, which I finally completed yesterday. I think I might have blacked out and run around the block butt naked because I beat it uh, with some friends and I was super excited uh, about that. Uh, they have done a phenomenal job of both... Um, bringing the story back around in a, in a cool way, the story that wasn't there before, as you said last time, <laughs> and, and actually adding something that you can play uh, that feels cohesive, that gives you small bits of um, uh, little little hidden tidbits of things you kind of need to be poking around with. Uh, and amazing, the thing I told a couple of friends was that I had never really cared about the actual environments of Destiny before the Taken King. But now I find myself because they've done the like hidden fragment thing where you go around and look for these small things that are hidden in the mm-hmm. environment and also things to scan that I have been digging through small corners of the environment that I'd never done before because, you know, everything is so static. Nothing yeah. moves, but it's great to kind of dig around and look for things that there may be some um, some actual hidden gems, literally hidden gems there to be found. Uh, so the Taken King raid is great. If you need some people to raid with, I have a good squad of raiders to go with you. I want to uh, go to there. It's really hard. It's really hard. It's kind of unreasonable. It has a lot of jumping puzzles. Uh, hmm. But when you beat uh, specific parts, you do feel this, like, we got through this. <laughs> if, if you're not crying by the time you get to that point, wow. <laughs> if you're not crying or frustrated or mad, uh, it does test your patience. And it will also, I'll say this really quick, it's interesting to see how, as a, an adult gamer, how much l- less patience I have with people who don't pay attention. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's one of those weird things where I used to be like, hey, okay, we're all around, all along for the ride. But now that I have a time limit that I need to, to game in every week, <laughs> I have so less patience with people who are like not paying attention to what we're doing at, at, at the moment. So wow. it's, it's a good experience. You should all definitely play it if you haven't. And I'm hoping that you get to run through it, Jeff. I know you said you yeah. haven't done that yet. So I'm hoping and you get the chance to. I really want to. This week, actually, I got a, a tweet from a friend who has been on the show, Patrick Beja, 
our French friend who was on the show a few weeks ago, and he really crystallized it, uh, destiny for me because he had heard me complaining that it wasn't MMO enough. And I was, you know, was like, I wish it was more like, wow. And he said, no, 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 don't it. Destiny is not an MMO. It's not. Wow. Destiny is Diablo three in first person. The game right. you go in, you do the same stuff and you get new loot. And, 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 and I, went oh my gosh that just kind of put it all into perspective for me mm. and i think i'm you know i'm ready to stop looking at it for what it isn't and appreciate it for what it is because the mechanics just like diablo the mechanics are very fun um so so i'm ready to you know play a little more of that at some point uh, anything else for you there Cleve? oh uh last week or two weeks ago i got to play the tacoma demo which was mm. awesome. So, yeah. uh, Fulbright uh, Studio out of Portland, uh, where I am, where I am uh, currently, uh, I got to hang out with Steve Gaynor and play Tacoma. I'm so I was excited for it when I saw uh, the stories that they had done in Game Informer and to see him on stage at E3. Um, but then getting a chance to sit down and play with it after having uh, gone through Gone Home uh, some years ago. Uh, I'm I'm even more excited to 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 get into this universe and and have the story play itself out for me in the ways that I'm going to see that happen. Uh, we talked about a little bit on our show where we talked about it being close to uh, this performance art piece that they do in London and in New York called Sleep No More where you basically walk through a scene and you can follow any of the actors into any of the rooms that they go through and watch the scenes kind of play out. And then it loops three times. So you can kind of go through it again and see the things that you missed. And, and Tacoma feels exactly like that, uh, but in digital game form. So that alone has me super excited for it. I'm, I'm really hyped for it. It's going to be dope. Very cool. Uh, I do want to mention another game that's been on my playlist. It's called Cryptarch. I believe Today's the first day I can talk about it, and I believe it hits early access day after tomorrow, if I'm not wrong. Uh, this is a – you know how I went crazy over um, Galaxy, uh, but found it – you know, it is very, very frustrating. It's a very tough game, but I think it's a, mm-hmm. a, an amazing experience. And I kept saying, man, I wish I could have a version of uh, – a mode in Galaxy that is is the same game, but lets me have precise movement instead of that, you know, sort of um, – asteroids-esque drifting that is so hard to to do and that's cryptarch it it, it is a 2d beautiful beautiful game the art is beautiful in this game uh 2d game roguelike in space you have loadouts of your spaceship you're going into uh uh derelict space stations and getting destroying bits of it taking down their um their uh, self-defense systems and looting for for money. You basically you're just a space pirate who just wants to get cash, and you can use cash to upgrade your systems, and you can do all these different loadouts with different weapons. It's awesome. It's it's also hard. It's not an it's not easy, but at least you have that precise movement. That's really fun. Um, I'll talk more about it in coming weeks, but uh, I wanted to mention it because I think people should have it on their radar. It's uh it's hitting Steam early access, and it's really good, really good. Cryptark, it's called C R Y P T A R K. And he unlocks your engrams. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, I know we're running long. I, I want to get to um, some tabletop time, but we got this great email, and it's a little long, and I want to read it uh, and get Christian's reaction and Khalif's reaction. Uh, because we got this from a friend of ours, listener uh, Danish Syed. Uh, he said, after listening to your latest episode, I had to write in. I'm a huge VR enthusiast. 
I own a DK2 and have tried nearly every VR demo available. I always enjoy the back and forth discussion about promise and practicality of VR, but once Christian discounted the benefit of VR in Minecraft, I was yelling at my iPhone. Of all the traditional VR games I've played, Minecraft may actually be the best. He says, he notes that he played it uh, with a, a mod called Minecraft. It's not the official Minecraft VR, but still. He said, as we've heard time and again, VR is all about presence. Minecraft is a game literally all about the space you occupy and what you do in it. The brilliance of Minecraft VR is that you are always traveling through a variety of different scaled environments. One Minecraft block is one meter tall, and for the first time ever, you feel it. When you're digging hundreds of feet underground in a one meter by two meter tunnel, trust me, you feel pretty darn claustrophobic. When your tunnel suddenly opens into a vast underground cave, the scale is astonishing. You feel a sense of relief as you leave the tight quarters behind. When you climb to the highest peak of a mountain and look down, you get vertigo. The simple routine of tunneling into the side of a mountain, then slowly carving out a living space, becomes so immediate and tangible that you feel the space getting bigger and bigger around you. Your creations are that much more rewarding. And as you come out of your well-lit makeshift home into the dark forest at night, Seeing the depth of the forest as it recedes into the black of night creates a completely different sensation of danger and isolation. As you know, people have created insanely elaborate recreations of fictional settings like Westeros in Minecraft. Well, I can tell you getting lost in the endless twisting alleyways of King's Landing as the sun sets in Minecraft VR is still one of the most magical experiences I've had in an Oculus. Okay, rant over. I'm passionate about VR, but like I said, I totally understand all the points against it and really enjoy hearing the discussion. But I could not stand by and listen to somebody badmouth what I think is one of the best VR experiences I've had. So I thought, uh, you know, we couldn't go through a whole episode without mentioning VR. This is DLC (laughs) uh, after all. Uh, But Christian, what's your what's your reaction to this? That's great. I love that that it has brought uh, more enjoyment to a gaming experience that he loves and hopefully other people are able to experience something similar or find a new, better passion for the games that they love through new technology. Who wouldn't root for that? You. No, I'm not, not rooting for it. Uh, <laughs> I think you, you think I'm going to go off and be like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's having fun with an experience, and that's awesome, and I'm excited for him. And I think at the same time, don't discount people who don't think that it adds anything new or wonderful to their experience. Well, yeah, okay. What do you, what do you think, Khalif? Any, any thoughts? I, I, I just, I'm happy for that, dude. I'm happy that VR is kind of making people have those experiences and it's finally getting to a point where the idea is hitting uh, people in the heart places. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's making people feel the things that they didn't feel before. So that's awesome. That's great. I think his big point that I want to underscore is that it's fundamentally different. It's a fundamentally different experience putting on the headset and being in the place rather than staring at the place on a 2D screen in front of you and i think that people that haven't experienced it don't quite understand that thing that we keep the the proselytizers like me keep shouting from the rooftops it really it is not waggle it is not 3d televisions it is not you know it really does feel different i mean yes and no i i agree that experiencing it is is good i've experienced it several times but i think sometimes it, it going back to our collector's edition thing you love it and it makes sense to you and you will buy a statue to go with it right like to me it's like me yeah. sitting here saying pop punk saved my life in high school and you need to go and listen to midtown's first two albums 
and Blink-182's Enema of the State is almost pop-punk perfected. And I get that it's silly and dumb and it's white, skinny white dudes from Orange County whining about their girlfriends leaving them. But like <laughs> how that impacted me as a youth and what it did and, and the, the beats and the riffs and, you know, the whiny voices, it spoke to me. And to, to me to sit here and convince other people of that or that rollerblading is one of the purest sports around, people mm-hmm. laugh at it. And that's fine. I so think I'm, what happened is there's just not enough hate in your heart for both Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 and this discussion and you've used up all the hate i'll tell you one thing that would make tony hawk's pro skater (laughs) 5 worse and that's vr (laughs) that i that i I will i will believe yeah (laughs) i think no man's sky honestly going back to that really really quickly would be amazing in vr oh yeah well there's some people that are that are you know the conspiracy theory is that the reason it's taking so long for that game to come out is because it's going to be a playstation vr launch title uh, uh, okay. I want that to be true. I don't mm-hmm. think it is true, but I want that yeah. to be true. Um, all right, dudes, we're running along, but I do want to carve out a bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Cleef, are you playing any board games? I don't have any friends. We talked about this last time I was <laughs> on the right. show, Jack. We got to get you friends. You, all your friends I'm, live live in cities far from yours. That's the problem. You have you it, have an internet generation of friends. Honestly, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> well, I want to talk about uh, a game that I played this week that I fell in love with. It's a game that I kickstarted. So sticks with a theme this week of kickstarters uh this is a game i actually put up um, my own my own dollars to kickstart because it looked like something i would like and boy was i right uh, i kickstarted it a while back maybe a year ago eh, maybe not that long i don't know uh, it's called steampunk rally this game is great uh, my wife and i played it we both loved it she can't wait to play more of it uh here's the idea behind this game so all these famous inventors throughout history, uh, Einstein, Tesla, Madame Curie, uh, the list goes on and on. They all want to get together and figure out who's the greatest inventor of all time. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to create these wacky steampunk contraptions and they're going to race in the desert, a multi-day rally race. This reminds me of the old Hanna-Barbera uh, wacky race cartoons. You, ever, you guys ever watch those? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved those. They had all the Hanna-Barbera characters, and they all had different cars, and it was like, you know, Death Race 2000 or whatever. Anyway, so this is that, but with, you know, 18th century, <laughs> 19th century uh, inventors. There's 16 <laughs> inventors in the box total, uh, and so you select yours, and they're all different, so it makes the game very replayable because it's very, very different plays. Um, and then you draft cards... Uh, that are that have multiple uses, and one of the uses is they are pieces of this contraption, this car, this vehicle that you're building. But the vehicles are, you know, have wacky parts. You know, they have spider mechanical spider legs, or um, you know, jet propulsion, or all kinds of crazy stuff. And you, so you can build this contraption in front of you by assembling the cards, and the 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 card, the new piece has to fit has to latch onto your to your other pieces in a very specific way. It has like, you know, like Lego type. I mean, they're just a card, so it's just a drawing of it, but it has like a, a slot that you can lock it on. And so you're actually building something in front of you. And all those pieces work together to create different effects. And there are three resources in the game, electricity, water, and heat. 
And each of those is represented by a different color of six-sided dice. And so uh, each of those cards has on it slots to stick in those dice. And you acquire those resources. You acquire, you know, some heat or whatever. And then you roll all those dice on your turn. And depending on the numbers on the faces of them, you can slot them into different spots on the different cards. And then some of your the pieces that you slot those dice into will c- create other dice or create propulsion for your vehicle or do something else. So in a lot of ways, what you're doing is you're taking, you're taking heat and you're turning it into steam to propel you, or you're taking electricity and turning it into water, which then t- you turn into heat, which you then use to propel you. So you're creating this kind of perpetual motion machine where a little bit of dice energy in has a chain reaction that you can then do like, okay, well, this makes that and I can use that for this and then I can use this for that. And then all of a sudden now I'm moving down the track, which is extremely fun, I must say. Uh, But also the track itself has hazards on it, which cause damage to your vehicle. So you have to have uh, enough armor on your vehicle to either withstand those hazards with your armor or you just build enough parts to your car that you just careen down the track and when you hit the hazards break off pieces of your car to 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 uh to just go through the hazards and if as long as you get through the uh the finish line with one piece of your car you're fine so you can you have different options on how you deal with those hazards you're also racing the other players on the course each time you lay down the track to start a new game, the course is different. So you're doing different, experiencing different kinds of courses. There are shortcuts that you can take that are sometimes more hazardous than the long ones. So you have to how to play that trade off. And I love board games where you're creating something in front of you. That's why I love Agricola and Caverna and um, uh, gosh, there's a whole bunch of games where you you know you you build a little thing in front of you that's just for you and this game really scratches that ish because you're creating this awesome steampunk wacky machine that you have designed to do certain things for you. And it feels so powerful. And you're like, okay, roll these dice, place them in. Now those dice created these dice. I get to roll these dice, place them in. Okay. Those dice created these dice. I roll that in. It's like, it's so fun. It's called steampunk rally. That sounds awesome, and I'm happy to see that they put on their website that they have video tutorials for people like me. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you brought that up. I almost forgot. Uh, you, you know, one of the things that I like uh, about the modern trend of of board games is, yes, they'll a lot of these companies will have a video tutorial, so you don't have to read the rules. Mm-hmm. I am saddened to say their video tutorial is not good. Oh, it's, no. Um, yeah, they really – they went with this – idea that i respect in theory but in practice didn't work too well they they dressed up in costume and they created like an like an in-universe tutorial so they're like all like inside the game and mm. and they're trying to create flavor for the game which you is fun but it really muddies the delivery of the rules and all you want is just a clear understanding of the rules and i don't think that video tutorial does a good job you'll find uh, if you go to Board Game Geek and search for Steampunk Rally, you'll find other videos that will convey how to play the game in a much clearer, more succinct way. And I, it's a shame that the video that they produced, which probably cost them more and certainly took a lot more effort to make, uh, is actually less effective at actually delivering the rules to you. And that's mm. a bit of a bummer. But Sounds awesome, though. Yeah, this is one I definitely want to play with you, Christian. I think you'll dig it. I think uh, it's it's 
so fun. It has such a f- really cool theme and, uh, you know, feeling like a cool, uh, you know, steampunk inventor. It's, it's awesome. Really cool. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Uh, all right, dudes, let's wrap this baby up. We do have our parting gift coming soon, so stay tuned for that. But, uh, Khalif Adams, thank you so much for being here, man. You're the, you're the best. I really dig your show, Spawn on Me. But where can people keep up with you this week? Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Myself and my co-host, uh, Cicero Holmes. Uh, we show, uh, our show drops every Tuesday on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places you can find podcasts and such. And on our website, spawnon.me and on our home base uh, of our network, esn.fm slash spawnonme is where you can find all the good stuff that we put out there. Very cool. Yeah, we gotta have uh, we gotta have Cicero on as a guest too. I mean, my bad for not not getting him on sooner, but uh, he's he's awesome as well. That's nah, okay. <laughs> You're like it's fine as long as I'm here. Yeah, um, basically. <laughs> Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? If you are in LA Tuesday, I'm doing a fun show at the Comedy Store, Night Owl Comedy. It's actually three dudes uh, that I went to Rice uh, undergrad together. Well, not together, different ages, but I went to the same undergrad. Um, amongst them, Brent Morin, star of Undateable, blah, blah, blah. It's Tuesday at the Comedy Store if you're in L.A. Thursday is Improv versus Stand-Up at UCB Franklin. And for people not in L.A., November 19th through 22nd, I will be at the Scottsdale Laugh Factory out in that Phoenix, Arizona area. Um, and then uh, I'm getting back to my Thursday Twitch. Um, Christian Spicer on Twitch. I did Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. Last week, um, this week I think is going to be Transformers Devastation is the plan. Ooh. Was that uh, Twitch stream just you screaming at the game? It was just like, ah! I gave it a good shot. I put in like two hours before I started the stream, and then I think I streamed for about an hour, and then I apologized to people. I was like, I just can't. I can't do this anymore. It's <laughs> it's so bad. It's Smash mechanic. So frustratingly bad. Uh, but it's Thursdays around lunchtime Pacific, sometimes earlier, sometimes later. But I am at Spicer on Twitter and uh, Thursday morning, I'll always tweet out what the what the plan is. What about you, Jeff? What's uh, what's going on this week? Well, um, we've got a uh, review of The Martian coming up from uh, Slash Filmcast. So you should definitely tune into SlashFilmcast.com for that. And um, my uh, comedy show, We Have Concerns, has episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, only 20 minutes long. If you haven't tried that yet, I urge you to. I think people really dig that show. It's easy to digest. Again, it's only 20 minutes, so check that out at wehaveconcerns.com. I'm also joining a new show very soon called Tomorrow Daily on CNET. Uh, That has been announced, but I don't know what my first day is yet, so uh, I'll keep you informed. But I'm pretty excited to be joining Ashley Squid on that uh, that show. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for more info as to when my first day will be. uh, Nice. Pretty pretty exciting stuff. Congrats on that. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. It's a video show, so it's been too long since I've done videos. Yesterday yes. monthly, my new show suddenly seems far less interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. One day a month, you talk about the day that just happened. Yeah, and, uh, and sometimes I pick a real stinker of a day too. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad planning. Um, all right, uh, let's do it, guys. Let's get to our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Khalif, do you have a parting gift to get people through their week? 
I would I would do it rapid fire style. Uh, if you are into music creation on your iOS devices, there is a dope one from Propellerhead called Figure. Uh, it is a four track uh, uh, music creation app where you can basically uh, play synth uh, drums and then uh, uh, strings or horns or something like that. And I make beats on there when I'm on the bus. Uh, one day my 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 EP called Phony will come out. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and uh, uh really quickly uh Orion uh from the folks at Kiro O out of um Cameroon they have a kickstarter that is coming out is the first Cameroonian um uh kickstarter for a game that they're making is a 2D platformer RPG game uh they have 2 weeks on their kickstarter and they're almost halfway through their uh their funding and lastly you should all check out the Legend of General So movie on Netflix, it's awesome. It talks about the the dish that is in every Chinese restaurant that you'll see uh, around the country and where its origins came from, and how the story kind of coincides with um, uh, migration of, Ch- of Chinese Americans and Chinese to America, and then Chinese Americans kind of integrating into society. That was really interesting, all based around this one food. So it was really cool. Does sound very cool, uh, Christian. What about you? What's your uh, your uh, parting guy? My first concert ever was a Janet Jackson concert. Janet Jackson's Unbreakable came out recently. Her new album, what, 11th, 13th studio album? Something insane. And it's great. If you like Janet Jackson, there's more to like. It's more of the whispery, soft Janet Jackson, not the as aggressive Rhythm Nation Janet. Um, there are a few, I think, club hits on there that'll be remixed and you'll people will be dancing to um, come next spring, if not even before. My only concern is it's called Unbreakable, and Michael Jackson's last album was called Invincible. Um, it, it didn't pan out for Michael, so <laughs> hopefully Janet remains unbreakable, and we don't uh, <laughs> we don't lose another Jackson after a, such a defiant album title. But it's Janet Jackson's Unbreakable. It's fun. I think I'm going to stick with the music suggestions as well. If that wasn't enough awesome dance beats for you, uh, people may know I am the world's largest Prince fan. He has a new album out called Hit and Run that is so friggin' good, and it, it really is a dance album. Uh, his last album uh, w- was more R&B and is equally good, and this kind of feels like a companion album to it. But this, because it has like a couple of songs that were on that album but remixed by him, and uh, but it is it is such a feel good, move your feet, great great album oh man i i can't recommend it enough if you think that prince has only made you know purple rain and uh, a few other albums from the 80s and you you only know of him of his sort of greatest hits you should dip into his modern stuff it's so good it i can't imagine why it's not on the radio right now because i mean it it, it shoulder to shoulder with any great pop music that you can find right now um there's a song called Fall in Love Tonight that, like, if any other artist made it, it would be a number one single. But for some reason, Prince can't get on the radio anymore. Um, try it. Hit and Run. I think it's on a streaming service, a new streaming service whose name I don't know. I bought it from Amazon as a CD because I'm ancient and my car has a CD player in it. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, so I, 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 I don't know. I still buy his stuff on CD. That's who I am. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're helping GameStop as we speak. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but man, it's so, so good. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thank you to Khalif Adams and Christian Spicer. Thank you to all the folks at five by five, especially this week. 
uh, Maggie and Dan were so awesome in uh, dealing with our audio issues. I hope the show sounded better this week. It certainly did to my ears. Um, and uh, it's something I'm very grateful for that we can keep working on that show. Thank you to all of you who have sent us uh, you know, your feedback on things and your questions. We really appreciate that. Thanks to the live audience. You guys are the best giving us uh, live feedback in the chat room every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And thank you for downloading. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>